Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. movie and television series by television series hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at Doctor Strange released in October 2016 when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach's In Conversation with Jeremy Corbyn, Martin Scorsese's Silence or Jennifer Aniston in Office Christmas Party instead. I'm Tim Worthington and here's what I had to say about Doctor Strange when I live tweeted by Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. This was the one I was convinced they were going to mess up. Instead, it's an expertly judged collision of 60s psychedelia, modern spiritualism, 2001, and, well, House MD. Benedict Cumberbatch avoids the temptation to go arch, and the reworking of Wong is particularly laudable. That's what I had to say about it, though. And joining me to give his thoughts on Doctor Strange is writer and Smirchpod host, John Rain. John, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter, Tim. I'm at Mr. Ken Shabby. Indeed you are. So before we go any <laughs> further, John, what happens in Doctor Strange? Well, it's an interesting tale about a doctor, including the title, about a doctor who's very, very skilled. Too skilled, some might say, because at the beginning we find out that he's very good at naming how long songs last. And I was thinking that had what have happened not have happened, he'd have been very good on You Bet. But anyway, he, he's a confident doctor who's in an accident and loses the ability to use his hands. So he seeks all sorts of ways to fix it, has all sorts of operations, nothing will work. But then he hears of another man who had a broken back and then sought the advice of a Eastern mystic who fixed him. So Strange heads out to the Mystic East and meets up with the wise healer who helps him channel his mystical powers and become, well, he was Doctor Strange, but become another Doctor Strange. Well, that's a pretty neat summation. But John, how much did you know about Doctor Strange before you saw the film? Not very much. I'm pretty sure he turns up in a Spider-Man cartoon somewhere along the lines. I've seen as a kid. And I'd seen in a couple of bits in comic books, but not very much, to be honest. I was aware of the name and I was very excited about this film because up to this point, Marvel had been fairly punchy, punchy, fighty, fighty. But when I read about Doctor Strange, I just thought, well, that's an interesting film because there's, there's obviously bits of that in this. But the, the fact that they're using magical powers is a bit of a curve for Marvel where they were going. So I was very intrigued by it. Yeah, because it came at a time they were trying to set up some of the other Marvel. It's wrong to call them genres because they all bleed into each other. But things like they started doing the horror stuff in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. They started obviously doing the cosmic stuff in Guardians of the Galaxy. And all of that seems to be where they're going next. But yeah. this was particularly interesting because it was around the same time as the Iron Fist TV series. And I think this got right what Iron Fist got wrong, because that was just the mythology was the mythology. Danny Rand had come from this mystic faraway place where he'd learnt martial arts, and that was it. It had this whole spiritual edge, but nothing to connect with. Whereas this, it flies off in all kinds of directions. It's got one foot in 60s psychedelia, one in cyberpunk visuals. Apparently they were really careful not to do magic that people were used to on screen. So Mm. they'd watch things like Harry Potter and make sure it didn't look like it. And I think that's what really makes this there's so much to latch on to even though in a sense it is mumbo jumbo it's gobbledygook but there are things you can relate to 
in it almost. Oh yeah, and also something that's buried in this film, which I think is very important, and it's also the direction they've gone with the sequel that's going to come, is they had a horror director do it. Scott Derrickson, who did The Exorcism of Emily Rose and Sinister. So you've got that slight horror edge to it when he goes into the mystic realm, and when Mads Mikkelsen starts turning into Dormammu, it has a bit of a sinister edge to it. And also, it starts with the beheading, which not many Marvel films do. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's important as well. And also, you know, not talking about DC, but that's why people like Shazam, because that's also from a horror director, and it's got that edge to it. And also, it's got a really good sense of humour running through it. And really good music, which we'll come back to. But the horror Oh, thing I need to talk about that a lot. We really yeah. do. But the horror yeah. thing is quite interesting, because there's a very weird, long story you're trying to make a Doctor Strange film. I mean, there was, I don't know if you've ever seen in the 70s, there was a TV pilot. Yeah, some, I've seen pictures of that. Supposed yeah. to go with the Incredible Hulk and Amazing Spider-Man TV series, neither of which were fantastic in themselves. But this pilot is dreadful. It's really campy. It's got the aesthetic of, you know, the board game Mastermind. It seems to be yes. based on the cover image from that. <laughs> but then in 1986, just after doing Back to the Future, Bob Gale started making noises about doing a Doctor Strange film where he would be fighting Dormammu in it. That came to nothing for some reason. But in 1989, Alex Cox was hired to direct a possible Doctor Strange film. Wes Craven took over in 1992. And then seems to have gone through every horror director there was until they dropped it in 2000. So obviously, that's always been Marvel's intention is to push Doctor Strange in that direction because there's a reputation that it's just, you know, mysticism, psychedelia, but there's so much more to it than that. And the other... Well, we have to get out of the way. The most amazing thing in it is Benedict Cumberbatch, who actually looks like Stephen Strange does in the comics. Yeah. Genuinely does. And there is the whole thing about it. It took them a long time to persuade him to accept the role because he, you know, he's famously publicity shy. That's why he turned down Doctor Who. There is that really odd thing, which I'm convinced is a direct plea to him in the UK cut of Winter Soldier, where the list of things that Captain America needs to catch up on has Sherlock TV series. Almost as if they're saying, come on, mate, come and do Doctor Strange. <laughs> but he's brilliant in it. He's brilliant in Infinity War and Endgame as well. Because, he, you know, in amongst a crowd of wisecracking people, you know, he's up against Iron Man, Star-Lord, Spider-Man. He's got his own sense of humour in it, his own sense of purpose. He holds his own. Him and Iron Man work very well together, yeah. And, of course, as we were saying, there's the music. Now, I found out one really interesting thing while I was looking into this that I had no idea about, which is apparently Michael Giacchino obviously did the proper soundtrack, which he mm. recorded at Abbey Road. While he was recording it, Paul McCartney walked past and said, that's quite good, that. <laughs> I think that's praise indeed, because you've got, you know, apparently they tried to get a couple of Hendrix tracks and couldn't afford them, tried to get some Bob Dylan tracks. But you've got, in Private Place, Interstellar Overdrive by Pink Floyd. Now, yeah. if you're not able to license Hendrix and you can license Pink Floyd, that's blowing my mind more than the film. Absolutely. But this is really fitting, because Pink Floyd had a bit of a Doctor Strange obsession. Yeah. And also, Doctor Strange is more Sid Barrett than Dark Side of the Moon, which is going to mean nothing to people that don't know about Pink Floyd. But yeah. I think it's a perfect choice and it sits really well in the film it works so perfectly in that entire scene yeah but yeah Michael Giacchino's score is so good there are elements of it you can pick that it's a bit similar to his Star Trek theme in places but the track at the end they play it in the latter half of the credits where it goes a bit Pink Floydy, and he's got those Indian strings underneath it it's so good I think he is if you're going to do a superhero movie he is Marvel's secret weapon because this and the Spider-Man movies he's given Spider-Man a great theme as well so I'm really pleased 
pleased that he, he did the score for this because it just lifts it even further up in my estimation. Well, he does have a mix of influences in it, which really kind of ties in with the rest of the film. Is It's not just a Doctor Strange film. Like I say, there's elements of he very clearly has based his interpretation of Stephen Strange on Hugh Laurie as house. <laughs> other things, like I'm convinced that his kind of HQ, for want of a better word, the Sanctum Santorum, I yeah. think they play a bit on the fact that it's quite reminiscent of Ghostbusters. It's this weird, rickety old building in the middle of New York that shouldn't be there and yeah. it's housing some really weird supernatural stuff. I think there's a couple of scenes where they do play on that. And you know, the psychedelic references isn't really things you'd expect. I mean, I'm convinced there are elements of the BBC Alice in Wonderland in there, the 1966 Jonathan Miller one. Mm. So they clearly push the boat out to make it as unlike what people were expecting as possible and, you know, make it more like the rest of the Marvel films, which is why it's quite odd that it's not quite the one nobody talks about anymore, but isn't that well known to the extent that my argument when they said they thought about having the Netflix characters in Infinity War and Endgame, but thought, well, no, we'd have to introduce them and that would take too much time. And yeah. you think, well, how many people watching that had seen Doctor Strange mm. or had seen Guardians of the Galaxy and yet they fit in? You know, there is no introduction needed for either of them. So why we couldn't have had Jessica Jones turning up and punching people, I don't know. But <laughs> they do tie in directly with Doctor Strange because the Metro Hospital is also mm. featured very heavily in all of them. And while yeah. she doesn't appear in it, it has characters who were Claire's colleagues in the comics. Mm. But Doctor Strange itself is kind of overlooked, I think. No, it is. No, it's weird. And it's just the one that when I saw it in the cinema, I can pick Marvel films that blew me away on, on my hand. Like when I first saw Winter Soldier, I thought, this is brilliant. It's a remake of Goldeneye and I love it. And then you've got Infinity War, which is like Marvel's Empire Strikes Back. And then this, because it was just unlike anything we'd seen from Marvel before. It was visually stunning. Particularly, I saw it in the IMAX in 3D and the scenes where he's first, you know, enters the multiverse, as it were. It's just stunning. So it's, it stands out for me in that respect because there's a lot of Marvel films. I mean, now they're really polished, beautiful pieces when they come out, but there's a lot of the early ones that just aren't very visually interesting at times, but this is just remarkable. Yeah, it never lets up and you wouldn't think it was that far over two hours that it is, really. No. And it's also got an ending that isn't just man punches baddie or five men punch thousands of robot baddies which is the way it was going up to this point where it's just every Marvel film would just end that way but this has got that really clever time loop where he talks to Dormammu and says I, I you know, offer you a bargain and it's just really really clever and also the backwards fight as well it's just really it's just a complete diversion from where Marvel films were going and much the same way Guardians of the Galaxy was as well because it was just giving you something refreshing and that's why I really like it Wednesday September 6th reach into the unknown with Doctor Strange you believe in evil you're telling me you're a sorcerer don't defy me Stephen or I'll take my pleasure from you in another way John Mills is the power of good Jessica Walter is the power of evil and mankind's fate hangs in the balance Peter Hooten stars as the man in the middle Doctor Strange will the forces of evil conquer the forces of good on earth Doctor Strange a special two hour presentation Wednesday September 6th at 8 7 Central and Mountain there was some controversy over it there, which I do wonder if it's part of the reason for its kind of low prominence, which is that on the one hand, you've got Benedict Wong as Wong, who Wong was a character that I struggled with in the comics, because he was a very not quite, you know, sort of pulling slanty eyes caricature, but he's a very stereotyped oriental gentleman's gentleman, mm. and here they've made him, he's the real brains behind Doctor Strange's operations, he's the one with the knowledge, he's the sassy assured one, he's the 
one that mm. insults Tony Stark in Infinity War. And yeah. you've got that. But on the other hand, you've got, as the ancient one, Tilda Swinton, and apparently they yeah. argued for a long time about they didn't want to have just a, you know, a stereotypical dragon lady character. Yeah. So cast a white woman instead. Mm. You know, it isn't casting a glamorous white woman. It's Tilda Swinton. She does the air of strangeness really well. Mm. There was a, a, quite a big outcry saying, you know, it was cultural appropriation. It was mm. punch down casting. I think they were in the rock and hard place and they made the right call because yeah. there's so many other examples of them getting that kind of casting right throughout the franchise. I mean, what they should have done really is, is got an old white actor and got him to yellow up. That's what everybody wants them to do. No, I agree with you. I think they're, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. And I think they've decided to take it in a different direction just to have more women in the film because there are not... I mean, Rachel McAdams is a very thankless part, isn't it? It's basically just weeping a bit, reacting, and then you don't see her again. Whereas when you've got the ancient one, she is leading the entire film, essentially, until she bows out. So I think they had to have another female character in there. Otherwise, it's a bit sausage-heavy. And there is great casting throughout it. I mean, even mm. the lower level kind of I don't know what would you call the people of who follow the ancient one and the sorcerer supreme are they monks are they mystics it's sorcerers it's never quite identified which in itself is no. interesting but even the lower ranking ones of them are perfectly cast but you've even got people like Michael is it Michael Stuhlbarg Stuhlbarg you know from a serious man and everything and he's just basically doing a very backroom part in this that doesn't really I'm guessing that maybe he had a subplot cut or something but he's the one at the beginning who wants to call that patient as dead and then Strange says no I can save him and then later on there's a joke where he's trying to get something out of a vending machine and Strange and his ghost fight knock the vending machine and he gets his crisps that he wanted (laughs) I thought that's a Broadway I think he's won loads of theatre awards in America and he's just sort of using a vending machine so it's strange of strange then you've got Stuart Hilagia for I mean he's brilliant in this he is absolutely brilliant because he's got a very on paper it's a very boring role it's basically I am going to teach you everything but at the same time I'm once I find out about what's going on in the background about how the ancient one is using Dormammu's power and all that I have to be incredibly conflicted and a bit boring and then walk away at the end and then come back as a bit of a villain Um, but he does it with such because he's so good he's such a good actor he's got such charm and presence and charisma that it's you completely forget how much of a cliche that role is he also delivers my favorite joke in the entire film he shows strange to his quarters hands him the piece of paper that says shambhala and strange says what's this my mantra he says no it's the wi-fi password <laughs> we're not savages that is so good as well the way they treat his training like it's not the usual thing of you know man goes into temple sees mystic oh. artifacts immediately and it's like a boot camp they kick him out into the streets a couple of times of being rubbish yeah there's also a mildly meta joke there because when he does into the temple he walks straight up to the old asian man and says are you the ancient one whereas actually in fact it's the woman so again that's sort of saying to the audience we could have done that and that would have been quite boring it's got a lovely sense of humor all the way through my only gripe and you'll probably argue with me on this one is that I do wish uh, and I don't know if maybe because he didn't want it to be confused with Sherlock or whatever but part of me thinks that Cumberbatch isn't very good at American accents i rather he did this part as English yeah no he isn't actually I will agree mm. with that mm. that again going back to Iron Fist that was a real problem with that is that four I think of the main cast are English actors playing Americans but while I think even if they nail the accent well you've got somebody that prominent or that many people on the other mm. side of the coin doing that English 
English turned American accent. It kind yeah. of takes you out of it a bit. That is the one weak point of his bickering with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Is that you do notice that the accent isn't quite there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he doesn't quite nail it. But, you know, he's got another film coming up. So maybe he's yeah. worked on it in the interim. And it's going to be directed by Sam Raimi. How exciting is that? Well, given that he did the before the actual MCU Spider-Man films, the mm. only good Spider-Man film ever then, well, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting. I'm definitely going to fight you about that, but <laughs> maybe another time. But yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, I know nothing about Doctor Strange, as you asked me at the beginning. I've not read any of the comics, really. But when I see pictures of the character in print, in my head, he's English. That's a good point, actually. I'd never thought... I mean, you do actually think of him like that, probably because he uses long words, as yeah. opposed to saying bub, like, you know, Wolverine and the Thing do. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is a New Yorker through and through. So that's really quite, well, strange. We keep using that word. We do. Yeah, I mean, that's another good joke in it, isn't it? When Mads Mikkelsen meets him and he says, what's your name, mister? And he says, doctor. And then he says, Mr. Doctor. And he goes, no, it's strange. And he goes, not that strange. <laughs> I quite enjoy that joke. He's good in this, by the way. A man that I am constantly impressed by, Mads Mikkelsen. Usually, and this is probably me generalising, but I think it's probably true, apart from one or two cases, when you play a prominent Bond villain, your career goes down the shitter because people are like, oh, it's the Bond villain. We're not down the shitter, but you know, you don't come to the prominence again. But he is time and again been in big franchise films and has been brilliant in them. But also you don't label him in your head. He doesn't typecast himself because I think he's so versatile in his performances. And in this as well, I think he's just really good because he's quite, he's very evil. Because as I said, the first thing he does is cut a man's head off and put it in a bowl but he's also got that little twinge of playfulness and quite funny and then you know at the end when he all goes wrong for him it's just really satisfying because he's been so good all the way through that's the thing when you're a marvel villain your part's not going to be very good because quite often they're underwritten until thanos came along and it was just unbelievably well written but i think if you in his case with mad mickelson in this he really brings something to it that on paper is probably not a very good part again there was one line in this that i found really weird to hear now mm-hmm. given everything happened in the past couple of years where there's quite a few of the Marvel films and TV shows that have taken on an uncanny resonance later. I mean, there's a whole thing in The Winter Soldier about, you know, hacking people's social media accounts to build an algorithm to subjugate them, which has become kind of hot news. There's the whole... I mean, they do directly reference Trump in the later series of Daredevil, but Wilson Fisk's rise in the first series was before Trump had even thrown his hat into the ring. Yeah. And it is so close to it. But in this, there's the prominent line, the many becoming the you. When I saw this film, you know, it would have meant nothing. And now that has kind of a a hollow resonance about the way apologies to anyone from anywhere else in the world listening, but the way our UK politics have gone in the last couple of years, it was like a weird reminder of it. Not as much in Doctor Strange that you can draw a correlation between the current situation. with. Mm. And also, Dominic Cummings looks a bit like Dormammu. Yes! A less visually palatable Dormammu, I'd say. Also, another thing that stands out about this film is, is this is the only Marvel film where the hero, the guy playing the hero, also plays the villain. That's absolutely true. I hadn't thought about that till now. Yeah. But yeah, I cannot think of anything that there've been no doubles or replicas apart from, I suppose, technically agents of Shield, but they knew that mm. they were android facsimiles of themselves. Well, they're not even really androids, you know, ahead of it because they were watching out for that. So yeah, I think that is absolutely true. I think they watched Cumberbatch crawling along the floor in The Hobbit, looking like he was angry, looking for a contact lens, and thought, oh, we'll get him to play Dormammu as well. We'll just put a computer on his head like he likes doing, and have him just say why have you summoned me and then have him talk to himself it's interesting and of course we get the usual two post-credit scenes here one of which is Doctor Strange meeting Thor yeah 
this bit's directed by um, Tiki Waititi, isn't it? Yeah, because it more or less appears in Fall in Ragnarok. Yeah. I mean, there were some where they were just directly trailering the next film, which, mm. you know, when you go to see the one before, you think, oh, that's quite exciting, and then you realise it's just a part of the film. I don't like them as much as the ones where they deliver a real shock to you and then do something different in the film. I want them all to be Howard the Duck. Well, I am now leading the campaign for Joe Cornish to do a Howard the Duck film. Genuinely, <laughs> that has to yeah, happen. That'd be great. But the other one is a really chilling note to end on, where more oh, yeah. approaches the guy who recovered from paralysis and takes that away from him, saying there are too many sorcerers now. Yeah. I mean, that is a quite bleak note to leave the cinema on. Mm. Also, again, he plays the, he plays being a villain just as well as he does doing the honourable man from earlier on. So it's just a really good turn in general. But yeah, that's Benjamin Bratt as well, the guy with the back. He's sort of carved a niche out of him for himself lately. I've noticed having children and going to see lots of cartoons as doing loads of voices in really bad animated cartoons, which is another string to his bow. OK, well, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. John, if you had Mastery the Mystic Arts, what would you use it for? Oh, that's a good question. What I would like most of all is the spinny circular thing so I could never be late for anything and I wouldn't have to queue in traffic. That's a lot more polite than a lot of the answers we've had recently. John, thank you and Excelsior. Oh, Excelsior to you, Tim. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.